Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire. Keep your Azure skills up to date by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I've spent more time at home in recent weeks uh, now that the house we built is done. So there's a lot of small things to fix and finalize here and there. And on this note, I, I think I'm officially now an owner of a house because last weekend I went to the hardware store and bought myself. I have never owned one before. Now I have one. I did not realize I need one, but it's so much fun to, to do stuff with that. So I, 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 I'm saddened by the fact that I didn't get this earlier, but at least now I have it. All right. Uh, it's got to feel great. I remember getting our first house, the, the one we lived in pr prior to this one. And you had to get like moving from an apartment to a house, you had to get all the hardware stuff. And I, I think that's a never ending story in a way. So, you know, this time next year, I'm pretty sure you have acquired a, a set of new tools that you can talk about. Uh, I know that's the case for me. So on my side, uh, we celebrated my better half's 40 years birthday with taking Friday off, having a really luxurious spa resort over the weekend and got my grandparents to take the kids for two full days. So that's kind of like heaven these days because you don't get or we don't get these kind of moments uh, very often with the toddler and the five-year-olds. So when you have a chance, you take it. So I'm super charged, super recharged, spending all that time with the uh, at the spa resort, getting you know something called a spa rituals. You go through different kind of stations and just enjoying life. Super nice, super super healthy, it felt. So it's kind of also a reminder that, you know, we talked often on this show about how to stay healthy, what we do to stay healthy, and we both exercise a lot, and we, I think, eat fairly healthy, uh, live, you know, a, a fairly balanced lifestyle. But something like this is something that I really want to fit in there to get a little bit more of, like, it, spoiling yourself with a massage here and there and, you know, going to a spa. I love it. It was absolute pleasure to just hang out. So that's what's up for me. Sounds awesome. I, I think in the future we can rename this show to Control Out Azure Health or some something along <laughs> those lines. So today we are talking about Azure updates. Our roughly monthly look at the latest announcements and updates on all things Azure. And, and we both have a list of things we've been tracking and things we find useful and perhaps interesting as well. Uh, perhaps let me start on, on my list because the, the ones that I have are a, a bit more esoteric in the sense that this might not be something you would immediately after listening on the show, you would go to Azure Portal to deploy or test these out, but I still feel these are useful. So the first one on my list, and this is generally available, is resizing of peered virtual networks. So when you have multiple VNets, virtual networks, uh, you typically configure peering between those in order to have traffic pass from one VNet to another. And it might happen that you need to reconfigure one or multiple virtual networks. Perhaps you need to change the address range. Perhaps you need to do some other changes in there. And this wasn't previously possible to resize any of these VNets. You would have to remove, remove the peering in advance, 
do whatever changes on the VNets you'd like to do, then reconfigure the peering again. And this was this would obviously disrupt the, the network traffic between those networks, and you would sort of be tied to the configuration process until it's completed. And in my experience, when you're configuring peering between the VNets, it might often update for 20 minutes because it's doing quite a bit of things and there's probably a scheduler doing th uh, stuff for you. So now with this small capability, you can resize your peered virtual networks and you have to run a sync operation after each resize operation. So if you have, let's say, five VNets, you want to configure two of those, you configure one first, you run sync, you wait until that's completed, then you run another setting change, and then you run sync again. And this was highlighted on the documentation for this. So a small feature, but especially if you're building networks in the cloud, this is something you're going to need. I like this. Um, I recall in, in one of my previous roles, we set up different uh, peer networks, and, and this was always a thing. Whenever you need to kind of scale up or, or make changes and say, okay, we now need to re-architecture a little bit of this, you had to disconnect everything and whatever was on there kind of had to wait. So you had to kind of schedule a window of, of changing these things and say, you know what, we're going to break this thing down. Then we we're going to reconfigure and then bring it back up uh, with the new configuration. So I really love this this idea of, of doing that without actually yeah, having to disconnect everything. So on my side, the first update that I really like is something that relates to an episode we recently talked about. So this is a monitoring for Ampere Ultra ARM-based VMs and AKS clusters, where you have the, the ARM-based uh, nodes. So Azure Monitor supports these VM types now, and AKS uh, using those ARM nodes. And ARM, not the Azure Resource Manager, but the Ampere Ultra ARM-based VMs or nodes. And now you can then collect the key metrics and track performance for VMs using the monitoring agent. You can manage data collection settings at scale by defining unique scoped configurations for uh, subsets uh, of your machines using data collection rules. You can uh, correlate infra or infrastructure issues for your ARM-based VMs with VM insights. And you can monitor AKS clusters having ARM nodes and again, the uh, Ampere Ultra ARM-based nodes with container insights. So the update here is in preview that Azure Monitor now supports these VM types. So again, not Azure Resource Manager ARM, but Ampere Ultra ARM-based VMs and AKS nodes. And this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago in one of the episodes, that there's a new VM type and a new type of nodes you can deploy to AKS. So this update is for that. This is still in preview, but it's out there so you can take it for a spin. I, I think we're both old enough to recall back to the day when we had 16-bit CPUs and we were anticipating the move to 32-bit architecture <laughs> on Windows. And then we moved to 64-bit. And I, I feel partially we're sort of still doing that transformation and that journey to fully 64-bit. And now we're looking at the ARM-based VMs and, and, and nodes in Azure, so moving to ARM64. So it feels to me already, even though it's the very first steps in Azure for ARM, it, it feels already that that this is much faster than it used to be from 32 bits to 64 bits. Okay, for me, the next one, tiny one, but I, I feel there's sort of a 
a silent signal here as well. So this is something that's generally available. Action groups can now be saved and processed within Europe. And for somebody living in Europe, this is interesting because for quite many Azure related services, it could be Azure AD, it could be multi-factor authentication, it could be Azure Virtual Desktop. A lot of the metadata is often replicated outside Europe. So that's sort of been the theme this year that we are hopefully by the end of the year, we're hopefully getting the EU data residency for Azure as well, meaning that Azure AD or, or any of the major services wouldn't be relying on anything in the US. So this is a tiny feature, but now since it's communicated fairly openly that this will be processed within Europe because the action group itself will obviously have whatever you choose the action group to do, typically through Azure Monitor for your alerts and, and, and signals. It could be text messages, phone calls, emails, and so on. So these are processed now in Sweden Central and Germany West Central. I hope that we are not getting these sort of updates every week for the next two years. <laughs> Or all of the tiny little little features. Oh, this is now in Europe. This is now in Europe, but that one is not there yet. So I truly hope that eventually, when all of the metadata, all of the data, all of the processing remains within Europe, we can simply just say it's all in Europe, except for something that for some reason couldn't be in Europe. All right. Yeah, I like this. And again, my my compliance side and my my data sovereignty side, which I worked a lot with in the past really smiles when I see these updates where some of the things that we couldn't really control easily in the past can now be more easily controlled. And especially since I know there's a lot of companies in Sweden now moving to the Azure data centers in Sweden, also for regulatory compliance requirements and, and data sovereignty reasons. All of these things is just, you know, following the breadcrumbs of that. So whenever I see this, I'm happy for those customers. On my side, the next update is actually a deprecation notice. And that's a log analytics alert API in Azure Monitor that will retire on October 1st, 2025. So it's about three years. Well, pretty much exactly three years from now. Uh, you need to transition to using scheduled query rules API for log alerts. So that gives you, of course, enough time to re-architecture things. And this is a fairly minor change if you look at the allotted time you have from now until 2025, which is those three years. And, and the scheduled query rules API for log alerts have a set of improvements, including log alerting on all Azure resources, single template for creation of log alert rules, uh, and support for dimensional kind of auto-resolving and one-minute log alerts. So there's support for all these different types of alerts, which I also really like. So this API is called the scheduled query rules API. And that's what you're, if you're building something now, my solid advice is start looking at scheduled query rules API. Even if you're more familiar with log analytics alert API, that will be deprecated. That will be discontinued. It's still there for a couple of years, but it could indicate that maybe updates to that will slow down or even stop at some point, even before 2025. So solid advice here, definitely look at scheduled query rules API. That's a mouthful. And you know the action required is, like I said, to migrate or move to, to this API by October 25. And after that, any alert rules that are still using the log analytics 
alert API will be automatically transitioned, right? So you don't have to like looking at that. This seems to mean that whatever you already have will automatically be transitioned by my experience. If you can make that move yourself and kind of control them and, and have your own governance set in, in place, I would do that ahead of time. So you don't just get this kind of automatic transitioning, but it will be automatically transitioned if you haven't done so. Which also means that if you haven't changed your workflow and how you define and design these things and you deploy them, if you're still using log analytics after October 1st, 2025, the log analytics alert API, that will start to fail. So from now on, take a look at the new scheduled query rules API for log alerts and make use of that and see where you can fit that in. No stress, three years is a long time, but at the same time in three years, we're gonna stand at the finishing line and think, how did three years already pass and I didn't take a look at this? Um, that's happened so many times. I just wanna highlight that. I am anticipating about 156 episodes from today in the future that we'll we'll do an Azure update episode. Okay, it will retire tomorrow. Did you, finally. Did you all, oh, <laughs> finally, did you already migrate everything away? Alrighty, next one for me. This is something we first talked about in episode 59, so about two years ago. Azure Orbital updates. And I recall when we were recording that episode, it was right after Ignite or, or perhaps Build, I can't recall which one it was. This was announced and, and Microsoft said something about Azure Space. And I still recall somebody putting on Twitter, Finally, we have Azure in space. I can deploy my VMs in space, which obviously it's not about. This is about using satellite and, and mobile connectivity like 5G and private 5G to get companies connect to Azure and get customers connected to Azure. So, so there's a bunch of updates for Azure Orbital, and I, I think not many in in the audience might might be going to deploy this because plenty of these are in private preview for now but i feel it's perhaps useful to to follow up on what's happening with azure orbital just because we then also know where the investments are going at the same time so so there's a bunch of updates to azure orbital there's the cloud access preview which is a new service that will connect companies with the Microsoft Cloud, so implies Azure Power Platform, Microsoft 365, and so on, to wherever they need it the most. So what they are also using, they have a support for Starlink. So if you if you purchase that satellite-based internet connectivity, there's a built-in support for Azure as well, or Microsoft Cloud as well. Then uh, generally available is the Azure Orbital Ground Station. Uh, which was announced two years ago. So there's a partner network, and if you're planning on operating your own satellite network, this would be super useful. Let us know if you have any of those plans. We'd, we'd like to hear more. And, and lastly is the digital transformation of satellite communication networks. So something that's fully virtualized now. Uh, previously, I think it was hardware-based. I don't know too much about this, and I forgot whatever I did learn back in that time when we did the first episode on this one. But regardless, I, I feel this is interesting because it's so out there from the usual Azure things people tend to do. And it's interesting to see how this, this side will evolve in the future. 
I, I really like this. And, and this brings me back to, I think just half a year or a year ago, I had an old customer of mine that I used to work with way back when that said that they're looking into launching satellites and they were looking into like, how can we deploy something on those satellites that we can control through like a unified uh, type of operating center or like a single pane of glass. And they were looking at, at Azure to, to make use of that. Now that said, this is not a software company. This is a company that you know, offers, it's something for the industry. I cannot go into too much detail. It's something for, for um, you know, a production line type of industry. And they, they need 100% uptime connectivity and their services need to be available to all their machines and, and production lines at all times. So they were looking at like launching a couple of satellites to ensure that whatever business program or, or signals that they needed to send or receive to these machines in the different kind of factories, that that was always working. It's pretty cool stuff uh, if you look at it, but at the same time, it's super complex. So maybe there's something in there for them to, to take a look at as well. Now, the next update on my side is something, again, coming back to compliance and security, something I'm, I'm really passionate about. And it's a preview feature uh, or two preview features really. And it's encrypting managed disks and encrypting storage accounts with cross-tenant customer-managed keys. So, so that means that you can now encrypt managed disk with CMK or cross uh, customer-managed keys, cross-tenant, or uh, which enables you to kind of encrypt managed disks or your Azure storage account with, with your own keys that you have in an Azure Key Vault hosted in a different Azure AD tenant. And that's the key point in a different Azure AD tenant, which means you as a customer can host an Azure Key Vault in your Azure AD tenant in a subscription. And then if you use a SaaS provider and they have a bunch of stuff in there, now if their service allows you to use a CMK or customer managed key, you can now do that cross tenant saying, well, in our tenant, we have a secured Key Vault specifically for this scenario. We manage our own keys in there. Here's a key that we want to use for your service. And then you can cycle that key at your own peril and you can kind of control the life cycle of that key. Um, so service providers building those SaaS solutions to Azure uh, or on Azure want to give the customers an option of managing their own kind of encryption keys. And now the customers can use that cross-tenant CMK keys uh, to manage encryption keys in their own Azure tenant, which is super, super cool. Because previously this was really a big challenge. And when I was architecting, designing, and planning for uh, encryption across the SaaS solutions that I built, um, and and then later operated, you know, data protection and customer involvement and compliance processes alike can be a challenge in any of those situations. So I'm really happy that we're moving a few steps closer to kind of the tangible uh, reality for many customers. So we want to use your service, but we want to use our own keys. And now we can. So I think that's a, a really good and important update. So again, it's a preview feature, and this is encrypted managed disks or encrypted Azure storage accounts with cross-tenant customer managed keys. Super cool update. This is definitely something I will need to try out in the future. The last one on my list, this is generally available, managed Grafana. And we did have a look at Grafana back in episode 135. And if somebody's listening on this and goes, how can you still remember all of the previous episodes? Well, I don't. I look them up using the public website and just search it with, with a keyword. 
but we did talk about this about 20 episodes ago to have a look at what it was, why would you use it instead of Power BI or something else. And at the time, it was in public preview and we took it for a spin. Now it's generally available, so it's stable, it's supported, and, and so on. The version has been updated to Grafana 9.0. I wouldn't know what it was in the public preview, probably 8 point something. Uh, a couple of new features, uh, there's a few new dashboards, uh, one on availability tests geomap, and one on load balancing dashboards. So if you've sort of haven't had a chance to look at managed Grafana yet, perhaps now is the time to see it because I, I feel more and more companies are looking at Grafana instead of something else, especially for for IT related dashboards. Yeah, I, I like that. Another step in the right direction. Grafana has grown at an insane rate and it's being adopted everywhere. So I, I really love this. Now the final update on my side is the traditional updates around Microsoft Defender for Cloud. There's a couple of highlights here. There, there's been quite a few updates in the last couple of months, but there's a few kind of highlights that I want to bring up. And one is the, that you can suppress alerts based on containers and Kubernetes entities. So suppressing alerts based on those entities, now you can use the container environment details to align your alerts, your organization's policy, and stop receiving unwanted alerts. So that means you can now control uh, these things for container images, container registries, Kubernetes namespaces, pods, services, secret service accounts, and so on. So the full list of that is in the link in the show notes. Uh, just a short update that you know you can kind of now start to control and suppress the alerts based on the container entities, which is super helpful. And if you if you don't work with Kubernetes or, or containers and you don't have any of these alerts set up. That's fine if you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you do have that set up, you probably know what I'm talking about. And then you have a better option to kind of control how those alerts now happen. Uh, another update is Defender for Servers that supports file integrity monitoring with Azure Monitoring Agent or AMA. So FIM or file integrity monitoring examines the operating system files and registries for changes that might indicate an attack. Uh, and it's now available in the new version based on Azure Monitoring Agent deployable through Defender for Cloud. Super cool. Another update in Microsoft Defender for Cloud is vulnerabilities for running images are visible with Defender for Containers on Windows containers. Previously, we had for Linux containers, but now also for Windows containers. So if you're running containers on Windows, make sure that you take a look in Defender for Cloud for vulnerabilities. Uh, in that area and see if there's anything going on with your Windows images. So that's for running images, which is cool because otherwise you can also scan your your registries and like the images uh, that you have or the definition of your images. But this is also for, for the running images, which is super cool. And the final update there is container vulnerabilities now include details uh, about the packages. So VA or vulnerability assessments for containers include detailed package information for each finding, including the package name, package type, the path, the installed version, and the fixed version. Ergo, in version 1.2.3, the vulnerability has been fixed, and that helps finding vulnerable packages so you can remediate and uh, fix that vulnerability or just remove the package from your uh, images. So there's a lot of good stuff going on there. All of them are minor updates, but kind of trickling or bubbling up to the Microsoft Defender for Cloud updates that I really like. 
Good stuff. Good updates. Nothing sort of game-changing in the sense. So incremental updates, interesting bits here and there. The last bit, the unexpected question. And, and Toby, I think it's going to be my turn to ask you. Are you ready? All right, let's go. It's an easy one. Mickey is usually a nickname for a friend. So is the real name of Mickey Mouse then Michael Mouse? <laughs> Michael Mouse. You know, that is an unexpected question, but it's uh, another thing that's unexpected here is I was lectured, and this is probably 10 years or 20 years ago, I don't even know. I was lectured by someone about Mickey Mouse and his actual name. Apparently, and you know, don't correct me if I'm wrong, or or please do, uh, there's a story going on, and, and I haven't checked the, the correctness of this, but just as it's an unexpected question, this is an unexpected answer. I think his actual name is Mortimer Mouse. So he was called Mortimer Mouse, and that's what I think Walt Disney wanted to name him. But for some reason, his wife changed that and said, we cannot use Mortimer for whatever reason. It should be Mickey. Um, and, and that's all I, I recall. But I, I remember we had a lengthy discussion about cartoons, and we talked about Mickey Mouse and a bunch of other things. And someone said, well, if you want to be truly correct, you should actually call him Mortimer Mouse but then nobody knows what you're talking about. Super confusing, super complex. I have no idea how much of this is actually accurate. So if you are making business decisions based on the name of Mickey Mouse or Mortimer Mouse, do not trust me. First, make a fact check. That is an unexpected answer. I <laughs> recall I've heard Mortimer Mouse, but I couldn't recall if it was the original name or sort of the planned name or if it was another mouse somehow related to Mickey Mouse. But even then, this is interesting, interesting facts. All righty, thank you for tuning in. We'll have a fresh episode for you again next week. All right, see you then.